0: I know it might be hard to believe by looking at me, especially since I get to use this child-size pulpit, um, because the real one is too big for me. Um, But when I was in college, I actually played basketball. And my junior year, I remember it very vividly. It was Valentine's Day. Uh, We were playing against St. Mary's in Indiana and we were running an offense, and we were running this play called Blue. And because I'm the point guard, I had the ball, I was dribbling, and I came off a screen, and I planted to make a pass, and as I planted my feet, I tore my ACL. And so, of course, the treatment was surgery, but not just surgery. Surgery was only going to fix the injury. If I wanted to play my senior year, I was gonna to have to do the long, hard work of rehabilitation PT exercises, lifting weights, learning to run again. I couldn't settle for just cleaning up the mess. I had to also take measures to train and strengthen my knee um, post surgery. Both things had to happen, both the surgery and the rehabilitation, in order for me to get back to the game that I loved. Doing one without the other wouldn't give me the desired result. Or maybe let's consider remodeling a a location in your home. So let's say there's a bathroom and you want to remodel. Um, Would you just like do demolition in there and then just leave it as is? No, you would include the new sink and the toilet and the tile, there must be a getting rid of the old and a putting in of something new in order for the job to be complete. And so it is with us and our Christian walk. Last week, Tim preached an excellent sermon about what it looks like to fight against the sin in our lives. Remember Owen's famous quote, be killing sin or it will be killing you. But if, if fighting or, you know, fighting against sin was the only aspect of our Christian walk this side of heaven, we could easily become discouraged. If all we are called to is a fight, bobbing and weaving, trying to dodge the punches of the enemy while also trying to land some punches of our own, that just sounds exhausting and painful. But I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not all there is. As the interior of our souls are being remodeled, we aren't just expected to stick with demolition. We're invited through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit to be part of the remodeling process. As we heard Jesus say today in the gospel, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Or consider the truth that we proclaim each week At the conclusion of our confession, when we come together and we confess, it finishes with, Lord, have mercy on us and forgive us. Why? Is it so that we can just kind of suffer and endure? Is it so that we can somehow scratch out a meager existence this side of heaven? No. The confession tells us, Lord, forgive us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. There is a rising, a living, an abundance and joy that that is offered to us as disciples of Christ. Now, the question is, how do we go about engaging this promise? Now, at this point, we could proceed in lots of different directions. We could talk about prayer or daily devotions. We could talk about serving others. We could talk about the importance of being in a Christian community or, you know, generously giving. All of these things are positive aspects of the Christian experience. And you know what? They can be like, they can create joy within us. However, this morning, what I want to focus on is actually the foundation for all of the activities that I've mentioned. For the remainder of our time together, we are going to be looking at the importance of justification in the lives of believers. We are going to look at what justification is, what justification is not, and how it is the foundation for living a life full of abundance and joy. So if you would look with me at the passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, before we go any further, I think it's worth taking a moment to actually define what the word justified means. We use this term justification in Christian circles, and it's kind of a fancy term. Excuse me. And I mean, technically, it is a legal term used in a courtroom. But basically, this is all that justified means it means that there will come a time when each one of us is going to stand before god almighty in his courtroom and we are going to receive judgment on our lives and on our own merit and we know this deep down in our own efforts each and every one of us is declared, we deserve to be declared guilty but through faith in Jesus Christ and in his death, resurrection, and ascension, God looks at us. And instead of like proclaiming a verdict of guilty, which is what we deserve, God sees us and says, not guilty. Because as followers of Christ, we are clothed in Jesus's righteousness. And the penalty that we deserve, which is death, he doesn't doesn't hold it against us. When we stand before him, we receive life. We are declared forgiven and we are free to go. Justification is essentially the message of the gospel. And regardless of how long we've been living the Christian life, there is still much to glean from mining the depths of this reality. Calvin says it like this, The gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory only, but it is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. That's the hope this morning. That as we look at the truth of our justified state before God, we will understand in a deeper way That justification is, in fact, the wellspring from which a life of abundance, peace, and joy originates. But in order to understand more fully what justification is, let's discuss what it's not. It's a temptation for us to view justification as simply the key that gets us in the door. Imagine, if you will, we are standing outside, dead in our sins, unable to enter into the place that our hearts were created for. God's presence is inaccessible to us. But when we receive the gift of faith, believing our relationship with God can be restored through what Jesus did on the cross, it's as if we're given a key. And this key opens the door to the place that we've been longing to be. We step inside and the temptation is at that moment to forget about the key because we don't think we need it anymore. We've we've gotten ourselves inside the house. Jesus has invited us in. So what are we supposed to do now? Well, Scripture points out a couple of different responses that we have when we view justification as only the ticket that gets us inside. The first I want to mention is when we experience the gift of justification and we find ourselves inside the house in God's presence, we decide, you know what? I think that's good. Like discipline, sanctification, sacrifice. Yeah, no, no, thank you. God's grace covers all of our sins. And so, you know what? We don't have anything to worry about. Well, Paul swiftly addresses this faulty approach when he writes in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And he says it again later in the same chapter. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Now, it would be easy to hear Paul's hyperbolic argument and think that we aren't in danger of treating God's gift of justification in such a flippant way. And that's true. I don't, think all, I don't think most of us in here are out there sinning right and left, willy-nilly, every opportunity we get. But how many of us have certain sinful areas in our lives where we have s- simply conceded defeat? You know the feeling that I'm talking about. It's the feeling you get when you're trying to put a toddler to bed or when you're trying to get a teenager to clean up their bedroom. It is a (sighs) full-body... And we grow weary of fighting, and honestly, we don't have any hope of victory. In regards to those places of disobedience in our lives, we throw up our hands, and somewhere deep inside of us, if we're honest... We think to ourselves, you know what? I have really tried, but you know what? God won't count this against me. I'm covered in Jesus's righteousness. I'm going to be okay because I'm inside the house. Well, as Tim pointed out last week, this approach is ultimately an illusion. It would be like riding a bicycle up a hill and then deciding to stop pedaling in the middle of the hill. Do you think that you're going to stay in the same place by doing nothing? It's not possible where sin is concerned. If we want to experience a full, abundant life, we can't take our status as justified and abuse it. But there's a second way that Scripture says we can approach justification that is just as devastating. If we treat justification as the key that gets us in the house, well then, we can feel the need to try and earn our place once we're inside. Yes, we're in, but we need to follow the house rules in order to be able to stay. This has been an issue that has plagued human beings from the very beginning. Jesus cursed the Pharisees for their feeble attempts to make themselves appear holy when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And we see it in the early church with the issue of Gentile circumcision. The issue there was that Jewish believers were telling Gentile believers, hey, in order to be a part of the church, yes, you need to have faith in Jesus, but also in addition to, you're going to need this physical act in order to be a part of his family. And Paul wasted no time squashing this heresy. He writes in Galatians 2, 15 through 16, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we can go on and on regarding the ways that each one of us tries to earn our place, to prove our worthiness, and to work to earn God's smile upon us. As a result of the fall, human beings possess something inside of us that absolutely rebels against the idea of the free gift of salvation. Surely we must do something to prove that we are worthy of the gift. The truth is, we struggle to rest in the assurance of God's promises that we are loved, that we are forgiven, and that we are in right standing before him. Our broken humanness can't help but reply to those statements. Yes, but. And so we work, we perform, we take action to attempt to do something that will try and settle our hearts that are honestly unsettled. And if we view justification as nothing more than a key that opens the door, then we will inevitably feel the need once inside the house to try and prove our worth. Now, whether we're ambivalent and take for granted God's great gift of salvation, or if we feel compelled to perform for his favor, and you know what? Depending on the circumstance and the situation, we do both. We miss the reality of what justification really is. If justification is viewed as only a key that gets us inside the door, then once we're inside, we won't be able to feel secure and settled in our new home. And if we live in a place where our souls are constantly in a state of unrest, we can't expect to grow, to mature, and to experience fullness of life. But what if, what if justification isn't just a key? What if we start to understand being justified, our identity that God gives us as the house itself? What if who God says we are as forgiven begins to be the air we breathe, the water we swim in, the defining reality that encompasses all that we are and all that we do. Dane Ortland, in his book, Deeper, refers to justification not as the jumper cables that get the Christian life started, but rather an engine to keep the Christian life going. Let's read Romans 5 again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our faith in Jesus solidifies us as justified, while also granting us access to the grace in which we stand. Friends, we stand in God's grace. And when I say those words, what I want you to imagine is not you standing on the train at the airport trying to head to baggage claim and you know how you're all like stuffed and crammed and like standing, you know, trying not to touch anybody. You could be standing there, but it's not comfortable. I want you to imagine being a fly fisherman, being out in the river, open, free, with the water flowing freely around you. That's standing in His grace. And what is grace? But the unsought, undeserved, unconditional love of God. That's where we stand. Let me ask you a question. That's our reality. But in your day-to-day life, where do you feel like you're standing? Are your days and decisions marked with a sense of assurance and peace because of your standing before God? Or is your heart troubled and uncertain? You know what? I'm going to ask a better question because I already know the answer to that question. What is the source or the reason why your heart is uncertain and insecure? You know, and I'll admit, this week, writing this sermon was a huge source of uncertainty for me. I have this voice inside my head, and um, her name is Cruella, and she is awful. And she is my closest companion and, at the same time, my worst enemy. And she talks to me all day long. Constantly, sometimes whispering, sometimes shouting. But I can guarantee you, it is always negative. And it surprises me every time how quickly what she has to say to me, like it moves from being critical of my performance to being critical of my person. So this week, what I heard or what I started to hear in the beginning was, you know what? sermon's not good enough. And what it quickly became, almost instantly, was you're not good enough. And just like that, I can find myself spiraling down into places, great unrest and and insecurity, questioning how God sees me, if he even bothers to turn and look at me at all. I'm not dwelling in the truth that when I stand before him, he declares me forgiven, not guilty. I lose sight of what God says is true about me because I'm too busy being focused on what I think about myself or what the world thinks about me. Now, for you, your source of uncertainty might be your role as a parent Or maybe it's the relationship that you have with your spouse. It might be guilt regarding sin in your life. It could be a job, a dream unfulfilled, a physical limitation, or an illness. But all of us, for many, many reasons, struggle with standing firmly in the truth that we have been justified. And when we're honest... Really honest. We have to admit we spend most of our lives in varying degrees of angst. Our hearts are troubled and we work really hard trying to answer the question and feel confident in life's biggest questions about our existence. Am I accepted? Am I worthy? Am I loved? And whether we know it or not, we spend an exorbitant amount of time and energy trying to prove to the world and to ourselves what our heart longs to hear. This way of engaging the world is so entrenched in us that it can be difficult to imagine a different way of living. For many, we aren't able to do that. We aren't able to grasp what it would be like to live a life that is characterized by a solid assurance that we are forgiven and justified before God. However, what if we were able to stop and get off that hamster wheel of uncertainty and insecurity? What if we could stop chasing, stop striving, stop working so very hard and simply receive the verdict already pronounced over us by God himself, that we are free, that we are accepted, we are forgiven, and because of faith in Jesus, we stand righteous before our maker and king. Let's go down that road just a little bit further. How would walking in the truth that you are justified change the way you treat your spouse? Imagine how being grounded more firmly in the reality that, how would that impact how you parented your children? Consider how standing with confidence in the undeniable fact of justification might influence things like your spending habits, your presence on social media, or maybe even how you engage your relationship with the Lord? How might a confident assurance of God's unchangeable verdict of not guilty on your life influence the sinful behaviors that plague you? Can you imagine it? If just for a moment, what would your hours and your days be like if you approached every person, every task, every situation with the assurance of what is written in Romans 5? That right here, right now, in this very moment, church, you are justified. You are at peace with God and you are standing in his grace. We've spent some time this morning looking at the truth that our Christian life isn't just about dying and fighting, but there is a rising and a living. And we've identified that just what justification is, what justification is not. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I pray that we've considered to what extent each one of us genuinely walks in the truth of our justified state before God. But if you're sitting there this morning and something inside of you is stirring, that, that this, what you've heard today has aroused some sense of longing within you, you might be asking yourself, okay, what do I do? What, what is my response to what I've heard this morning? Well, you know what? I wish I could tell you there was this three-step process that would guarantee success and results. Unfortunately, that is not how things work. But there is something we can do and our response to that stirring ought to be simply to ask. Let Hebrews 4.16 be our rallying cry. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ask God for greater understanding. Ask him for a deeper knowledge of what it means to be justified. Ask him for help to be able to live from a place of assurance and confidence rather than chaos and fear. And take heart, because we're not on this journey alone. If your spirit is responding to anything you're hearing today, then that's the Holy Spirit himself working inside of you. The Spirit intercedes for us and helps us in our struggles, in our doubts, and yes, even in our resistance. Romans 8.26 tells us, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't even know what to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Know this morning that the Spirit is praying for you. And that the Spirit is working in your heart in deep ways, shaping you to be able to receive more of the abundant life that Jesus wants to give you. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whether you are encouraged, whether you're hopeful, whether you're frustrated, ashamed, maybe even hopeless, I pray that the Holy Spirit, you would feel his comfort within you today. Now, before I finish up, I want to leave us with a story of encouragement. For those that might still be a bit dubious about the truth, That God does offer us life and fullness, richness and abundance? No matter how long we've been on this road, here's an example for you. C.S. Lewis is by far one of the most well-known scholars and writers in Christendom in the 20th century. I would be shocked to find one person in this room that has not heard his name, read a book by him, or heard something that was written by him. His influence is ongoing and far-reaching. But even Lewis had new life and vibrancy breathed into him decades into his spiritual journey. Listen to what he writes to a woman named Sister Penelope in June of 1951. Keep in mind, these are Lewis's words, not mine. Everything without and many things within are marvelously well at present. Indeed, I do not know whether to be ashamed or joyful at confessing this. I realize that until about a month ago, I never really believed, though I thought I did, in God's forgiveness. What an ass I have been both for not knowing and for thinking that I know. I now feel that no one must ever say one believes or understands anything. Any moment a doctrine I thought I already possessed may blossom into this new reality. By his own admission, Lewis was able to understand long into his spiritual journey with Christ in new and deeper ways, this reality of justification. It is possible to know more fully, more deeply, that we are forgiven, truly, completely forgiven and made right before God. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life shouldn't only be a struggle. Yes, there is fighting that occurs, but there are two sides to the coin, and we should take hope that there is also abundance and life that is offered to us. And an avenue that we can travel to be able to embrace uh, this fullness with the help of the Holy Spirit is to go deeper into the reality that we are justified in the eyes of God. Jesus has received our guilty verdict. God looks at us and without hesitation declares us innocent, forgiven, and free. The more firmly we cling to this truth, the more fully that we are able to stand in this reality, the more we're able to quiet our restless souls and embrace the abundant life that Jesus promises to each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, in our lives, in ways that we cannot do in our own strength and in our own efforts. Father, would you help give us an understanding more fully and more deeply of what it means to stand in your presence and to be declared forgiven. Father, may it bring peace to our hearts. May it settle our souls. And may we stand firmly in this truth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.